The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I have a book in front of me here. It's called How Did I Get Here? Traveling the Road to Resilience. It's an interesting read. Written by a black rock man, Andrew Fitzgerald, who has made his life's work in the drinks industry as a marketing expert and brand management expert in the drinks in industry um, from BlackRock based in, in the States now for many, many years. But the book is about other things too. It's about a health crisis that he's had. He had it fixed, um, but it damn nearly killed him twice. Um, it's about also how he finds himself, where he finds himself in the corporate world and how he often pinches himself and wonders, how the hell did I get here? But also detailed within the book are the tragedies of four miscarriages. Um, And it's that which a lot of people have focused upon in reviewing the book and in talking to Andrew about the book. And he joins me now for such a discussion. Andrew... When you sat down to write this memoir, which is an interesting read, by the way, and, and, and well done on it, I don't think you had any idea that the message about the miscarriage or the section about the miscarriages would take off in the way that it has. No, I did not. So I wrote a book with four main sections in my life, uh, a health crisis, emigrating from Cork to San Diego, where I live now, 11 years ago my corporate life in the drinks industry, and then, of course, the very personal grief and loss that my wife, Jane, who's also from Cork, suffered. We had four miscarriages, Mm. and that part is really hitting home with both men and females. That was never your intention, I assume, and and you're surprised that it's taken off. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote the book, really, with three motivations in mind. One was to have no regrets. It's something I wanted to do. Mm. I loved English in Douglas Community School and I was great at writing. And my wife pushed me to do it because she would listen to me and she would say, will you go and write that book and just start it? And I did two and a half years ago. Mm. Um, And the second one was to hand a copy to Alfie. So he's our fifth pregnancy, but our first successful pregnancy. And he's our hero. And I want to give him a copy of my book, leave a legacy for him. I'm 45. He's four years of age. You know, what's... Mm. You know, I, I want him to know about our lives and where we grew up. I did want the reader to get something out of it, but I never thought it would be the miscarriage piece that people would really resonate with. And I think the book is all about resilience in life, and that's the core theme. And I guess going through miscarriage or people trying for kids, you do need to be resilient. You need to be hopeful. And I hope that Jane uh, and my story can, can inspire people to have hope and keep going because it does work out for people. You went through it four times. That That's... That's hard. Four times in four years in America with no family support, which, of course, is their choice to live here. And we didn't tell anyone, which was the right thing and the wrong thing. The right thing because it gave us a bit of privacy. The right thing because what can mom and dad and Black Rock and and Jane's parents and Carigaline do other than worrying them? But equally, it would have been helpful to talk to people and be a bit more open. So is this the first time that you're revealing it publicly? To anyone pretty much you know jane would have spoken to one or two of her sisters and when alfie was born we were a bit more brave than to tell our folks and family but for anybody outside of our main circle yeah the book reveals all you know which is mm. kind of startling in one way but it was cathartic for me to write everything down not only about miscarriage but about my life yeah 
maybe reconcile some of those things. And um, it's it's really humbling. I mean, to, to say I'm an author, to say I'm an international best-selling author on Amazon is something new to me yeah. as well. But people have been reaching out. And um, men, generally, I guess we don't open up about things. No. Females are much naturally better at doing that. And everybody kind of grieves in a different way, you know. So myself and Jane were, you know, it's the best news you can get to say you're pregnant. Yeah. It's the most devastating news when you when you have a miscarriage. Yes, and, and sometimes it wasn't delivered very cleanly, reading the book. Yeah, so, I mean, each time we had a miscarriage, they were all different but the same, you know, the devastation, the loss. Um, the first time, I guess, we were all excited, waiting in the waiting room here in San Diego with all the other expectant couples, and they were coming out with balloons and teddy bears, either pink or blue, after finding out the gender, and we were excited to go in and we started to scan and then we could tell straight away from the doctor's face there was something wrong and then she delivered the terrible news i'm sorry to say the pregnancy has stopped after six weeks and you know we're stunned and then you know i went to sort of get the um door back to the lobby the reception and you know we were we were shown the back door you know down in a cold metal stairwell down into the parking lot you know pay your parking fee and off you go and i did think that was very crass at the time uh, and on the way home and then after processing it now you know i think in one way they were being empathetic too uh, but equally didn't want us walking back out seeing that we were crying in yeah. front of the other patients so i kind of back and forth a little bit on that but um the doctors couldn't say there was anything medically wrong it was just mother nature that's all yeah. we kept hearing and that's the hardest thing yeah if it was yeah. something medically you may be able to you know, do something or... Because your life in, in business, in corporate world, you're a problem solver. To come up against something for which there is no answer, that in yourself, in your own head, must be difficult to cope. Very difficult, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've worked in the drinks industry and sales all my life and I'm solution-orientated. If you say, Andrew, uh, you know, we have a problem here, what's your solution? I'll find it. I'll go over over across the street through a brick wall if that means that's going to happen. That's worse when you just have to be patient and, and just sit there and, and acceptance is very difficult. But the medical people are the experts and they all said, you know, it's mother nature and we had to accept that as best we could. You know, that was the first miscarriage, the second miscarriage. I wasn't even in town when Jane was having it. I had to leave a sales meeting, try and get through rush hour traffic for 90 minutes. I called the cops here and I told them I'm going to take the carpool lane, which is only for two or more people. And I told them why. And they said, I would not do that. We will stop you. And I was like, oh, my God, like I think in Ireland they might make an allowance, you know. So that's all part of the process. And and then the third one was like, oh, my God, what's happening? Yeah. And then we did talk about adoption because, you know, we did want to become parents, but we're permanent residents. We're not citizens. So that's a bit awkward. Unfortunately, we had the fourth miscarriage the night before the 12-week scan. We were so oh. close to getting past the first trimester. And when we went in then, and all the nurses and the doctors knew of our journey, the Irish couple, and then Jane said, I was a little bit of spotting last night, and you could just see the nurse knew straight away again. And um, Jane is an incredibly strong woman. She's a good Caragoline woman. And I suppose we leaned on each other an awful lot, but we threw ourselves into our corporate lives, which was good and bad. Um, and then... 2019 comes August 2019, Alfie Rian Fitzgerald was born, and it's just an incredible feeling uh, ever since. We enjoy him so much, and for it to turn out the way it's turned out is is incredible, and being a parent, as everybody would know, is fantastic. It can be frustrating at times. Mm. I don't have much hair, but you know, you end up tearing your hair out even more, and he's our hero and our character now, and um, I wanted to acknowledge 
him and his life in, in our book, but shared a story that, yeah. you know, you can overcome tough times. You made the point a minute or two ago, we men, Andrew, we bury stuff. Mm. And it's not good for us. Will we ever learn not to do that? Perhaps as a cultural thing, uh, because certainly American men are very open. Um, however, you know, you're taking a chance and you're being brave, you know, by, by speaking to other men one-on-one. Uh, you're being authentic. Uh, you wonder how it's going to be received. But you'd be surprised what's happening in people's lives. And that's, you know, why am I surprised when everybody reaches out to me now? I shouldn't be because I've had all these things happen in my life. And I mm. wasn't very communicative about what was happening. But I would say to everybody, all men listening to this, you know, take a chance, you know, call up your buddy, you know, reach out, just say, hey, you know, I got something that I want to talk through. You know, yeah, the book will, will talk you through what happened to me and my experience yeah. and everybody's un- experience is unique. But I think take that chance, you know, open up, even find a Zoom forum. You know, you're, you're on Zoom, you're in the comfort of your own home, so it's a bit more safe. And I've talk- spoken to my buddies now since as well, and they're starting to tell me things. So, like, it's, a, it, it's really gratifying, but we don't. You know, everything is great. We go for a pint, we talk about sport and, and so on and so forth. And that fills a need for us men too, but you could also talk to your partner as well. You know, I mean, Jane and I were so open and communicative. How are you feeling? You know, oh, I need space, space, you know, lean on each other. Yeah. But it definitely is a thing that men can be a bit more open about these things because it happens and it can be miscarriage. It could be anything else. It can be a relationship issue. It can be unemployment. There's stuff happening in everyone's lives. You will get more out of it by talking to people. I promise. Yeah, that's a very strong point. You don't realize it until you've actually started to talk, but you will get more out of it. I'd be shocked if anyone says that they've never had stuff happen in their lives. And when you bury something deep, of course, you're burying it for a reason. You want to forget about it. You want to get over it. But, you know, at some stage in your life, it will probably come back hmm. at you. And But why would you not? Life is short. You know, I mean, I had a very tough health scare at 18, 19 in Cork. Yeah. I flatlined twice, you know, and I was successfully resuscitated. I'm going to come to that, actually, because you have a condition called Wolf-Parkinson's-White. Now, I know what it is because I'm a bit of a medical geek. Your heart, when it speeds up, can't slow down, and that can be very dangerous, and it has almost killed you twice. Correct, yeah. So back in 1998, I used to play for Avondale United, a great club in Cork. Mm. I played with them for 10 years. We were playing Cork City uh, Reserves, or youth team, outside in Bishopstown. And we played a great game, PJ. We were two down, and I scored two goals to draw 2-2, and we were beaten 3-2 in the end. But after the game, my heart was just pounding, 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 and I got changed, and I went home, and I sat down, and I lay down, and it was still pounding. And then later that night, I said, Mom and Dad, I, I got something going on here. So we waited, and nothing wrong with that. We waited to go to our doctor the next day, and he thought it was um, just a heavy weekend of a few pints and vigorous exercise. But I went to the Mercy Hospital. Doctor said, look, there's no way to bring this heartbeat down. It was beating at 215 beats per minute. We're going to have to um, stop your heart and start it again. And I was, oh, my God, you know, processing this information. And I remember getting the last rites, uh, none in the elevator or the lift gave me the last rites. And then um, they stopped my heart and, uh, and successfully restarted my heart. I woke up in intensive care in the Mercy and I asked two questions to the nurse because I was a little bit dazed and confused. The first question was, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Hence the name of the book. And the second question was, 
can I have a cigarette? Because I was smoking cigarettes at the time. Not the best question to be asking in a cardiac care department. <laughs> no, definitely dazed and confused, PJ. But And then we did some, you know, we went on medication and they did some exploratory tests and it happened again four weeks later in um, when I was playing golf in Monkstown. And, Monk, you know, golf's not the most vigorous yeah. of exercises. And it happened on the second hole. And my friend Brian, I said, Brian, I'm in trouble here. You're going to have to drive me into the hospital. Went back into the hospital and uh, same doctors again. And they said, yeah, we're just going to have to stop this heart and start it again. And I was like, oh, my God. Like now, now I kind of understood the severity of it because the first time, you know, oh, all right. OK, well, that's what the doctor's saying. This time I was like, please, I want to wake up. Mm-hmm. And I did successfully. And then we, you know, they said they diagnosed me with Wolf Parkinson White. And I went to the Matter Hospital in, uh, in 1999. Yeah. And I haven't been on medication since. And uh, in fact, I push my heart as hard as I can now when I swim. And it self-regulates itself. So I was very lucky, PJ. Lots yeah. of kids, adults aren't so lucky, you know? Because it's not found. It's not found. And, 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 but having defibrillators can help too and at sports grounds and schools. And things have got much better with that. Yeah. You've spent your life, Andrew, in the drinks industry. And you've worked, I was looking at a list of the brands that you've worked with. Pretty much every well-known drink, you've helped to brand manage it around the world. Yeah, so uh, I'm very fortunate to find my way into sales, first of all, and then secondly, into the drinks industry, which is, is, is great fun, albeit we need to be responsible, of course. Yeah. And I worked with Diageo in Ireland, and I worked with Heineken in Cork, and I spent five great years with Heineken in Cork. And I, you know, PJ, for me, you know, I just loved working with customers, you know, the likes of the, the, the off-licenses in Cork, the super values, the centres, and just being a good support with them. And then I got an opportunity to move to San Diego and I coincidentally took a job with Heineken. And I've been very ambitious because if we end up back living in Ireland, I'd like to come back with some skills, uh, worldwide skills. And I've launched some major brands here in America, one brand called White Claw Hard Seltzer, which Mm. is now available in Ireland. And it's a $2 billion brand now. But of course, nobody remembers the person who laid the foundations. It's who, who built the house after that. And I've moved around a little bit and I still work in the alcohol business. I'm working with a great cocktail company here. And I, again, I just, you know, it goes back to the day in Blackrock in the kitchen in Cork. My mom used to have a home bakery. Right. Uh, she used to make meringues and pavlovas. And we would supply super values and centres. And my father was in sales. He would leave on a Monday and get home on a Friday in the 80s and the 90s in Cork. Right. And my mom taught me so much, like the work ethic, and I'd help her wrap the meringues and put the best before stamp on them. And they were called Mary's Meringues. I said, Mom, we got to brand this Mary's Meringues. And I'm nine years of age. <laughs> and then, then on a Saturday, my dad and I would go deliver the cakes to Scally's and, and down to Hurley's and Middleton. And, and we'd merchandise them on the shelf. And it wasn't, it wasn't all about sales. It was about people saying, I love those cakes. And we'd say, Mom, we have to make sure they're there all the time. And then we'd hit the golf course on a Saturday afternoon, Dad and I. Yeah, and and uh, and I just that work ethic stuck stuck with me. You know, follow through for people, be a good supplier, be a good support. And um, you know, Dad is eighty nine. He's he's doing great. He's going to be ninety in January. Wow. Mom is eighty four, and they're great company for each other in Black Rock, and they want to live in their house. And 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 me, my two brothers and sisters, just make sure they're looked after. You know, great. and they have great support coming in. Um, and but like I when I wrote the book. Mom and dad were like, oh, geez, I didn't think you could write a book, you know, I mean, because I was the sports guy, the sales guy. And, and for anybody out there who thinks they can't write a book, of course you can. Everyone has a story. And even if you never publish it, why would you not write down certain things about 
your life or a, a fiction story, whatever it is, yeah, and, and, and embrace it, you know, go after those dreams. Yeah, they, they say there's a book in all of us, getting it out of us is the problem. Yeah, well, here's a, here's a trick I started to write two and a half years ago, and I'd get stuck, you know, when you're typing, and I'd say, wow, is anyone actually interested in this? Yeah. But then I, I turned on the microphone, on the Microsoft Word documents, and I started talking. And that was very cathartic. And then I had an editor clean it up, punctuation, ask me different questions about it. And then we published the book, and I'm really proud of it, you know. I mean, we have the Irish flag and the American flag on the front. I see that. It's, it's a fabulous cover, actually. It's really good. Thank you. It's, it's on sale on Amazon. It's on sale in Monkstown Golf Club. The guys in the pro shop are helping me there. And we have a couple of bookstores in Ballina, in Mayo, of all places. But I guess while I'm here, PJ, if it's okay, could I take just two seconds to say... Any independent book and bookstores listening in Cork and beyond, you know, get in touch with me at andrewfitzgeraldauthor.com. Okay. And I'd send you six books and we can sort it out afterwards. I just want to get the book out there into people's hands. And if they sell, we can talk about an order then and figuring out all that stuff. Your marketing, your marketing, you can't get it. It's, it's bred <laughs> into your marketing. Uh, I never miss a chance, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, it has been an immense pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you very much. You're very kind, PJ, and thank you to everybody in court for listening, and, and I hope everybody has a great week ahead. And same to you in, in, in California. Great talking to you. Thank you, Andrew. The book is called How Did I Get Here? Uh, Travelling the Road to Resilience. It's in, uh, you'll get it on a, on a Kindle, electronic device, um, or any stores that he mentioned there. See if we can't get it into Waterstones for him. Corks 96 FM.